Good morning. It's good to be in church, isn't it? And uh, worshiping with your friends. Or the person next to you say, I'm glad I'm here with you. <laughs> it's an awesome opportunity for us to be in church on both of our campuses. I wanted to say hello to our Maple Grove campus and everyone that's worshiping there. Woohoo! What's happening? It's good to worship with everyone and uh, to know that God is still in the business of meeting with his people. Amen. And uh, he's not done yet. He's still got more up his sleeve. He's still got more around the corner. And I'm very, very excited about what he's yet to do, not only in me, but also in our church. And uh, good things are right around the corner. Just a reminder, this Thursday, National Day of Prayer, be an opportunity for us to pray for our nation, for God to heal our nation. There'll be many people that'll be praying in various prayer events. Our worship teams will be involved with the Unite event down in the University of Minnesota campus at Mariucci Arena on Thursday night. You're invited to go there if you'd like to go. And uh, we're going to worship the Lord together. And, of course, this next Sunday with Mother's Day coming up, perhaps you've got to make some plans. Yesterday I took a moment to ask Jody. I said, so where do you want to eat next week? Have you asked that question yet, guys? Uh, and uh, be prepared to think ahead to next week. What are your plans? Make church a part of it. Hello? And uh, it'd be the best thing to make a mother's heart uh, feel warm. And you don't have to be a mother to come to church next week. We all have mothers at some point in our journey. But we come together knowing that God is our Father in heaven, and he pulls the whole family together. And so next week is going to be a great time of joy for everyone that comes. I'm excited about it. We're in the last week of So You Believe in Jesus, Now What? And uh, I, I've enjoyed this series. I've enjoyed t thinking about just various aspects of following Jesus, the What Would Jesus Do bracelets. Uh, how, how many of you still have those? Anybody here? I, I brought, I've got mine today. And uh, just to think about the ordinary everyday life stuff that we can follow Jesus and it's applicable to today. He's not done working in our lives and of course, He's, we've seen baptisms, we've seen God do incredible things in people's lives. But today, uh, there's a word that God dropped in my heart this week, and it's the word supernatural. And that's the title of the message today. Following Jesus means that we live in two dimensions. The first dimension is the natural. The natural dimension is just your ordinary, everyday life stuff, you know? You gotta, you gotta do the laundry. You gotta Get up in the morning, take a shower. I hope you took a shower today. Brush your teeth. You go to work. You go to school. You handle your responsibilities that you have. Go to the grocery store and fill up the gas tank. And those are all natural things. Much of life is filled with just plain natural stuff. Everyday activity that we have to go through. And then when we think about our natural life, we also have resources that we're responsible for. We're responsible for uh, the finances that we have, our bodies and what we do with them. We're responsible for our time and the people that we spend our time with. And so resource-wise, those are just a bunch of natural things as well. And ultimately, when it comes to it, we also have our spiritual journey. And there are natural things that we do called spiritual disciplines. Coming to church is a spiritual discipline. You may need to choose to come to church more regularly and to consider coming to church more frequently. Why? Because the church needs you? No, because you need the church. 
and coming back around the worship and the preaching of the word and being with the people of God actually keeps you on the right pathway. How many have found that when you miss one or two weeks, it's awful easy to miss the third, right? So just keeping a pattern, that's a natural pattern. But also reading the word and, and prayer, those are natural things that we do. In other words, they're not like dropped on you and you all of a sudden feel the supernatural power to read the Bible. No, you gotta choose to read the Bible. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you gotta choose to read the Bible. But then there's the super stuff. Everybody says super. Super is the stuff that's beyond the natural, beyond the ordinary, beyond the typical stuff that we have in our life, extending the scope and utilizing what we have, but open to help beyond the typical or the normal. It's thinking beyond it. It's the ultimate, in some circumstances, the Super Bowl is not just any game, it's the game. But super is something that's beyond the natural. And if you take the super plus the natural, it becomes utilizing what we have, but trusting in God's resources for everything beyond the natural. And so we need both of those things. We need both the super and the natural. Some of you might have heard the statement before. She's so heavenly bound that she does no earthly good. And uh, that phrase, of course, refers to people who don't want anything to do with the natural, the everyday, normal people stuff. They just want to be in the supernatural, heavenly stuff all the time that they do no earthly good. But there are others that do exactly the opposite. All they are is in the natural all the time, and they don't want anything to do with the supernatural. Everything has to be in front of them. It's their own works, and they ignore the supernatural. And, and so when you look at the Scripture, there's people like um, one of the disciples of Jesus, Thomas, who's called Doubting Thomas. That's a phrase I heard when I was growing up. But essentially just meant he didn't trust anything unless he could put his finger in it, he could touch it. He was logic oriented. He was more natural in his orientation. But he caught the supernatural. And today, I want you to know this, that we need both. We need the natural and the supernatural. And we need to learn to grow in it. And before I dive into this message a little bit more, I, I, just to kind of set the word into your head, when we went on missions trips back in the day, I was a youth pastor. I led teams to Detroit and into New York City, and we worked in the urban context. And we would do like VBS and kids church and stuff and we would teach kids songs and one of the songs that we we did was was called higher higher or higher higher and so and the, the words of the song went like this it went higher 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 lift jesus higher and then it was lower 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 stop satan lower you need to do the motions right and then it was super, 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 supernatural power. And they, we, we would teach the students that because they, they wanted, we wanted them to praise, higher, higher, lift Jesus higher, lower, lower, stop, Satan lower, and super, super, live in the supernatural. So just to make it a little bit more fun, I want you all to stand with me today. <laughs> You never know what you're gonna get from your pastor, do you? So, here we go. Higher, higher, 
higher, higher, higher, higher, higher, higher. Lift Jesus higher, lower, 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 lower. Stop Satan lower, super, 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 supernatural power. Put your hands together. <laughs> you can be seated on both our campuses. Oh. Pastor Nathan, I'm hoping somebody's got video of that in Maple Grove. I want to see how I went in Maple Grove. When it comes to our supernatural hearing and eyesight, we need to grow. Because we're born into a natural world, we need to learn how to perceive and understand and listen and observe the supernatural. And I believe that Jesus will help us do just that. In fact, so you believe in Jesus, now what? What if you and I were to experience more of the supernatural? Second Kings chapter six, turn there with me. This is my main text for today. In Second Kings chapter six, there's the prophet Elisha. Elisha had spent a amount of time doing miracles everywhere. In fact, he had once been mentored by Elijah and he had grown up in this training and he had understood and learned how to move in the supernatural. And then there was a point in time in Israel's history where, where Elisha is actually giving advice to the king of Israel because the king of Aram, the Arameans, were attacking Israel. And so Elisha would hear from God where the next attack would be. He would warn the king of Israel, and the king of Israel would warn that town or that area, and they would avoid the attack. And the king of the Arameans became very upset about that and, and finally decided he was going to send some troops in to capture Elisha to stop this victory. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But he immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near the place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. And the king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and he demanded, which of you is the traitor who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? You could just, if this was like a movie, it'd be awesome because you could snicker and go, I know what's really going on. He has no clue. It's not us, my lord, the king. One of the officers replied, Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops in to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. And so one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God woke up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. He is freaking out. Verse 16, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Come on, somebody. I mean, that is a moment. It's powerful. 
Let me ask a question today. What if we lived with the awareness that there is more to the picture than what we see? What if we lived with that same type of awareness? You see, Elisha had grown in faith, and he lived in the natural and the supernatural, and he saw things that no one else had seen. But his servant had yet to learn those things. He hadn't learned to see the multiple dimensions, and it caused him to fear, and it was realistic fear. Listen, friends, you and I will face circumstances, and it's realistic. We feel fear, we feel frustration, we feel anger, we feel concern, all because that's what we see in front of us. But if we could learn, as Elisha's servant learned, how to see it, the larger picture, and understand the fuller picture of what's going on, perhaps we would approach our lives in a different way. What if we could learn those things? In Hebrews chapter five, verse 14, it says, but solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I love this because it says they have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is he's saying that there are life experiences that become opportunities for testing, and through each and every one of those testing experiences or practices, they learn from it and they begin to distinguish good from evil, natural from supernatural. Friends, in this era, when everyone is calling evil good and good evil, don't you think we need to grow in this area? We need to open up our minds and not just take what we feel or see or experience in the moment, but perhaps we need to grow in our understanding of what's really going on. Daily challenges, both large and small, provide opportunity for us to grow in our powers of discernment. So the daily experiences that you and I face, what you go through is an opportunity to grow in your discernment. It's not just a sign that the sky is falling and it's all bad. Perhaps this is an opportunity, that thing you've been going through, the conflict you're in with a loved one or a friend, that experience that is causing you frustration, that obstacle to your finances, and it, it seems like nothing is coming together. Whatever those experiences are that you're going through, perhaps it's not just, oh, the sky is falling. Maybe Maybe it's an opportunity for God to grow discernment inside of you so that you can move through just as Elisha was training his servant to go through. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If we do learn, then we can grow in our confidence just as Elisha did. Because you see, as Elisha saw those things, he wanted his servant to see it. But Elisha also had the confidence that was God was with him because as he looked up and he saw the armies of heaven all around him, it changed how he faced what was naturally in front of him. And he got bold and he said, God, I want you to blind my enemies. So these chariots and these horses and these enemy army uh, soldiers that were all around Elisha's camp, they were all blinded. And then Elisha led them out of town into Samaria, fed them something, and then released them, okay? And then this is what happens. It says in verse 16, don't be afraid, Elisha told them, for there are more on our side than theirs. And Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open uh, the man's eyes. And the man's eyes were open. And when he looked, he saw the hillside around. Verse 23, so when and the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. 
So in other words, it was the end of the conflict. And the reason that there was an end of the conflict is because what Elisha saw and what his servant saw is he looked up and he realized that heaven's math was taking over. See, in the natural math, he saw that he was outnumbered. But when he opened his eyes, he saw that there was a greater cloud around him. I often think about this when I read through Hebrews, and it talks about a greater cloud of witnesses, people who have gone before us and how they're full of faith, and they blaze the trail, and now they're in the grandstands as if you were on, on the playing field, and they're watching you, and they're, they're cheering you on. And I think about it in terms of my own life. I have a grandfather, and my grandfather, uh, who was a person of faith and preached the word, and now he's gone on and he's with the Lord. I know that he is with me. It's not just the people people in my life that I see, but I have a whole host of people, including heaven's armies around me, so even when I face difficulties, I'm not alone. Come on, somebody. It's a good thing. So each of us have to have our eyes opened up to see what really is going on, and I want to address three areas or three dimensions in which we need our eyes open today in order for us to live in the victory that is, pro is promised us. The first dimension is this, eternity. Everybody said eternity. eternity. See, we are caught up in the temporary status of this moment. We get consumed by whatever's going on. Have you ever been so mad at somebody that you thought you didn't think about the last 10 years and you didn't think about the next 10 years? Everything was in this moment. You get caught up in the moment. We get caught up in our trials and our tribulations. We get caught up in our struggles, and we think this is all there is. But the Bible says that there's far more going on than what we see. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. In fact, read that verse out loud with me, would you? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love this because we can't forget the bigger picture. There was time before us, there'll be time after us. And sometimes we get caught up in the temporary and we miss the larger continuum of what is taking place. What is seen is temporary. I was growing up and I remember I used to whine to my mother. And I didn't like something was going on. I know none of you ever whined to your mother. But I was, I was whining. And she would always say this, honey, this too shall pass. And what she was saying is that even what you're experiencing, though it seems so overwhelming, it literally does change over time. How many found that to be true? Some of our biggest hissy fits were just moments in time. They really didn't uh, turn into the eternal. They were temporary. What is seen is temporary. And in the moment of our crisis, we can lose perspective. I have a little formula that says something like this, that if you take a change of pace 
which is maybe you're working every day, going through the same motions, and you take a day off, or you take a couple hours, plus a change of place, which would be location. You know, go to a walk through a park, see what you're walking through from a different perspective. Then a change of pace plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. Isn't that good? To, so to consider, maybe if you're so wound up in the temporary, what you've been going through, maybe you need to look at it from a different vantage point. Maybe you need to step aside. Maybe you need to stop listening to the same people you've been listening to and pull aside and begin to look at the picture from a different vantage point. Change of place, pace plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. And really, when it comes down to it, when we look at this life and all the things that we're doing, which of the things that we are concerned about are eternal and which of those things are temporary? Am I getting hung up on a temporary matter or am I concerned about that which is eternal? Paul had a, a way of looking at it when he talked about evaluating who we are and what we're doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. Friends, we are caretakers of what we have. Our time, our money, our resources, our relationships. And if we focus on that which is eternal in each and every circumstance, and we caretake well, then on that day we are going to stand before the Lord and we will give an account for what we have done. This is an area that we often try to ignore. We try to ignore anything eternal. There is a day at which we will stand alone before God. And we will give an account for everything we have done. Some would call it judgment day, the judgment seat of Christ. Others will stand before God in a different way if they have not responded or received the salvation of God. And that day is a winnowing. It's a place of which people are sifted, those that would go to hell and those that would go to heaven. And we often want to push that off because those are eternities almost too hard to handle. And we want, we want this life to be all that matters. But let me encourage you again to open your eyes and think about your life in terms of, is, am I thinking about that which is eternal? Do I have an eternal perspective? Do I see it the way God would see it? And furthermore, when I think about people like my grandpa, as I mentioned earlier, when I'm battling certain things, I have this conscious awareness that I have people who have gone before me who have already lived in this life that are watching me right now. And they're cheering me on. And they're saying, don't do that. Please do that. And they are cheering me on. And in the eternal perspective, I want to take the eternal route, not the temporary route. Can I get an amen? amen. So this is your natural at God's disposal for the eternal. In other words, in the natural things that you do, are you connecting it to that which is eternal? The second th dimension that we need our eyes open is in the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Biblically, the word fear that I'm talking about, the fear of the Lord, is not a bad word. It's not somebody that you cower from because they're about to beat you up. But the fear of the Lord equals the love and respect and honor of the Lord. It's to recognize who he is. 
and to respond appropriately. It's to recognize that God is God and I'm not. And to be thankful that he has saved me, that he's loved me and he's cared for me and that he is God. And God is not me, okay? And if we're, if we're not... Uh, we're not careful, what we end up doing is we begin to treat him as common and ordinary and typical. And we dismiss him at times because he's just one of my parts of my life. He's somebody I go worship with on Sunday morning. But God is one to be revered and to be honored. If the President of the United States were to walk in, we would stand in honor. Whether we like the man or not, we would stand in honor of the office because that is a person worthy of honor. When it comes to God, we are to treat him with respect and honor. And the starting point for connection to God and his supernatural is we recognize who he is. Hebrews chapter 11 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. We need to recognize who he is, and that's the beginning point. If without faith, it's impossible to believe or to see or connect with God. Faith means I believe you're God. I know you're there. And familiarity and time can erode our awe and our respect of who he is, Colossians says. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Friends, I just want you to know this. We need to stay in awe and connected to him and awesomeness of who God is and not become familiar and routine and miss the fact that he's God. Do you remember the feelings when you first gave your life to Jesus? And you're like, I can't believe he loves me even though I'm a sinner. And you're in awe because he still chased you down. But over time, you can become familiar with him as if he's some kind of cosmic bellhop that you just call once in a while when you need help. Listen, he's not interested in only being called when, he, when you need help. He does answer, but he's interested in us living in a place where we respect who he is. And we can naturalize God out of our lives and lose our love and our fear of God. As Jesus was talking to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, he said this, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus is speaking to his church and he says, you don't love me like you used to. You're not in awe of me like you used to. You don't praise me like you used to. You don't spend time with me like you used to. You go through the motions and I'm not even there and you think I am there. You're going through the motions of worship. You're going through the motions of a church attendance. You're going through the acknowledgement of God. You pray for your meal, but you aren't even talking to me. Your head is somewhere else. You've lost your first love. And Jesus is saying to his church. You need to turn around and begin to do the things you once did. He uses the word repent over and over in the scriptures and including in this passage in Revelation. But repentance is not feeling sorry about where you are. Repentance is turning and beginning to follow him once again. So if you're in a place where you've lost your first love, where somewhere along the line you stop loving him like you used to, the way back isn't for him to come and 
and love you more. He's already loved you so much. He can't love you more. What you need to do is in your own heart. Go back to the very beginning and remember that you're a sinner saved by grace. That he loved you so much and he loved you first while you were still a sinner. And bow your head. Bow your heart. Remember the love that he had for you and see if you don't begin to restore that first love that you had so long ago. Can I get an amen in the house today? James chapter 4 says, come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Humble yourselves. Humility does not equal weakness. It equals closeness. I'm not saying become a sappy, sad person. What I'm saying is, in your heart, humble yourselves. James says, wash your hands. That's an act of repentance. Things that you've been doing, admit it. Talk to him. He says, purify your heart, which is clarify your allegiance. Are you connected to him or not? And then, in a sense, if you do that, he will lift you up. He'll restore the awe. I've often loved little kids who have come up to an adult like me. And they may be about this tall. And as, as they walk up, they see my shoes. And then they look up and they see my knees. And they keep looking up. They keep looking up. And they keep looking up. And then their jaw drops. That's awe. We start at the bottom, but as we look up, we stand in awe of our God. You're not perfect. It's not by your works that gets you in. It's his grace. But when you begin to treat him as familiar and you forget that he's God, he gets offended. Sometimes he withdraws his presence from a church. Because we don't know when he's there or not. Kind of like Samson didn't know the power had left him when his hair was cut. And I would just say this, church, may we be a church that still hears the voice of the Lord, stays in honor of who God is. It's more important that he be lifted up than people pat me on the back. I need to give him the highest praise. Higher, higher, higher. Lift Jesus higher. Come on, somebody. We need to praise him and honor him. The third dimension that we need our eyes open is the conflict in the heavenlies. Don't forget back in the story that Elisha and his servant were facing a natural enemy. But it was not limited to a natural conflict. It was actually a supernatural conflict. And his eyes were opened not to the demonic, but his eyes were opened to the heavens to God's armies, 
Today's age, it seems as though, sometimes even in the church, our eyes are too open to what the demonic is doing. We're giving the devil praise for all the junk he's doing, and we're missing the point. God is greater. God is stronger, and he can rout our enemies. Our eyes can be opened to those things. Ephesians chapter 6 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Although not everything is an attack, sometimes we spend enormous amounts of time struggling with the natural. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands at this moment, but I would guess that many of us are facing conflicts, struggles, obstacles. Some of those we created. Some of those are natural. But many of them are not natural. They're spiritual. And we keep fighting spiritual battles with natural weapons, and it's not working. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, we are human. But don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Our toolkit is not natural weapons. You might be able to win an argument with somebody and lose the spiritual war. I think in the, in the church, in the, in, the, in the culture that we live in, we've lost many wars because we've tried to fight with human weapons. We've tried to have better arguments, better posters to protest with, louder voices, more pride in who watches which cable news network over another, and we've missed the point we need to get on our knees where our weapons are mighty through God of the pulling down of strongholds. That's where we win the battle. We need to wake up that the resistance you feel may not be the people that take up so much of your time. There's a battle out there, and the battle is for your kids. The battle is for your mission. You were born with a destiny. You were not born just to go through life and to get a retirement and go hang out at the lake for the rest of your life. You were born with a purpose. You are co-partners with God on co-mission. And the enemy wants nothing more than to get us distracted and off track by other things so that he can get us off mission. Sometimes the attack we're on has nothing more to do with anything than the fact that the devil just wants you off mission. He wants you to forget you're here for your family, that you're here for the nation you live in, that you are meant to make a difference when you go to work and you give your best as salt and light in the world that God has called you to live in. An attack doesn't mean something is wrong. It probably means something is right. Elisha was successfully helping Israel defeat the enemy, and the enemy tried to take him out. The attack you're facing may reveal that God is causing damage to the enemy through your life. Wake up. Wake up. 